Let's pray as we go to God's Word this morning. Father, as Peter did, we bless you once again this morning for causing us to be born again to this living hope. We thank you that you have saved us, that you are saving us, that you will save us, bring that salvation to completion. I plead with you this morning that as we participate in your ordained means of, of grace, we would yet again be nudged just one more step forward, one more degree of glory ahead, Father. Move us, I pray, to delight in the wonderful salvation won for us on the the bloody cross of the Lamb. May we rest in it, revel in it, and be motivated by it. In Jesus' name I bring these requests. Amen. Stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. We'll once again read from verse 3, and we'll go through verse 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. As we know, the context of First Peter is, is a letter written to Christians in, in this region of Asia, and it's written primarily to Christians who are undergoing suffering, some kind of uh, persecution. And uh, so as, as Peter is writing to them, his goal primarily throughout the book is to tell them how, how do you live in this state of suffering and persecution? How does the Christian life look lived out in this state? But here in the beginning, what we have is Peter laying this this foundation, identifying who are you in Christ, and what do you have. And so this whole section is, he's putting forward the glory of, of their salvation. One commentator put these verses as, as a series of digressions. So this digression this week 
is on the importance or the value of our salvation. Now, we have a wonderful salvation, do we not? And my hope this morning as you walk away from the service is that you'll walk away with with a deeper conviction that your salvation is the most desirable possession in the whole of cosmic history. I'm going to say that again. That you'll walk away with a deeper conviction that your salvation is the most desirable possession in the whole of cosmic history. That's That's a big thing. And I wonder... If we believe it, I'll give you four reasons from our text this morning why we should believe that. But first, I want to kind of do a bit of a heart examination session. We've all been in a class where at the beginning of the class, they give us kind of the the pre-class assessment, see where you're at beforehand, to see how much do we really value our salvation. So here's the diagnostic question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And we all know the answer, the Sunday school answer. This is the Heidelberg uh, question number one. But here's why it's, it's diagnostic to me. If we really ask ourselves, where do I find comfort in life? If we're honest with, with ourselves, we might start to see uh, why we would need to spend a Sunday morning reconsidering the value of our salvation. So it's diagnostic to me because implicit in the question is that there is only one comfort in life and in death. Only one. Also, it's implicit that in life, creature comfort or uh, discomfort, neither one of those things should, should shake our ultimate comfort. In other words, if we lose all earthly comforts, We don't lose all that much in the end. On the other hand, if we gain every earthly comfort, we don't really gain all that much in an eternal sense. Another thing implicit in the question is that the comforts which we possess ought rightly to be able to survive death itself. And perhaps we could even say be enhanced by death. So these are some some heart diagnostics, and I just want to take a few moments now this morning as we look at four reasons why our salvation is the most valuable possession in the whole of cosmic history. And again, I my prayer is that you will this this taking this view of this of the worth of our salvation. Some of those comforts, whether we lack them or whether we have them that we seek in this world will be displaced by this one and only true and great comfort, which is our salvation. So the first reason this morning that our salvation is valuable, that it's wonderful, is because of the content of our salvation. The content. So beginning in verse 10, He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So the first clue we have here to the content is that it is grace. Our salvation is grace. That means that it's unmerited favor. So I wonder how often... 
we are approach our salvation as though it were unmerited favor. Or maybe we could say, how often we approach our comforts as though they were unmerited favor. So often I, I want to say, you know, something's, something's going wrong, I don't like this, and I'm upset about it. I'm entitled to it because I worked hard for that. That's mine. I earned that. Well, Peter here points us to the fact that our salvation is grace. And the reason why it was attractive, why it was desirable to the prophets, is because it was grace, a future grace that was coming to us. Moving on into verse 11. He says, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the first element of of, uh, the content of our salvation was grace. The second is sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. That's, That's what makes up our salvation. It's not just an idea. Something happened. We've talked about this in the past. There's a historical event called the sufferings of Jesus Christ. As we kind of look at this idea of comfort, I want to ask the question, what what is our primary problem? Is the primary problem that I lack this or that or I, I don't have my health or I don't have enough money to get by? What is the primary problem? Where our ultimate problem is sin, right? And so this is why this is so attractive to the prophets, why they inquired about it. Because this is the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That's an attractive message. Consider Isaiah in Isaiah 53, when he's told by the Holy Spirit, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, excuse me, with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's good content. That, that's what you want. And as this was revealed to Isaiah, you can imagine, who, what, when? Who? Who is this person? When is this going to happen? I want to know more. Thirdly, our salvation is wonderful in its content because it is described here as good news. In verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you, to those, to you, through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So this is good news. Our our religion, Christianity, is a proclamation religion. These men have proclaimed the gospel to us. Good news beginning with the apostles and now even some guy like me. It doesn't matter who it is, but somebody's been called to preach, to proclaim good news to us. And this is uh, attractive. This makes our salvation valuable. 
So the first point here is that our salvation is wonderful because of its content. Just to illustrate this, kind of, I think of you know whatever you medium you like to engage in, like Facebook, you're flipping through, and what makes you stop? <laughs> Something interesting, right? Or, or the TV channels, maybe, or magazine. The things that make us stop, the things that make us ask questions to want to dig in more is that it's something good, something valuable. This is what the prophets did. The second reason this morning why our salvation is wonderful is because of the authority with which it comes. The authority. Looking again in verse... Uh, 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the first element we see here is in the prophetic witness, it's inspired by the Spirit of Christ himself. Now, just in passing, we, we read the Nicene Creed this morning, and there's one phrase in there which which our Orthodox brother or not brothers, maybe, I don't know, friends, <laughs> don't believe in. Do you, do you know what the phrase is? That the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's called the filioque clause. And this text, to me, is one of the most strong evidences for keeping the filioque clause is that in the whole Old Testament, in the inspiration to the prophets, the Spirit of Christ was active. The Spirit was sent forth and proceeded from Christ. Back to authority. The, these men weren't speaking of their own accord, of their own thought process. We read in, I believe it's Second Peter... For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this message is attractive to these prophets because it comes from God. The second element of authority here that we see, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you once again by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven so even modern preachers are empowered are moved along by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel message so our salvation is once again wonderful because it comes from God third reason that our salvation is wonderful is because of its consistency. Its consistency. I wonder if you noticed something that throughout from when he discusses the Old Testament message and when he discusses the New Testament message, the message is the same. And something else, the Holy Spirit who inspired both is the same. So our message of salvation, our salvation is wonderful because of consistency people get this mixed up historically that the Old Testament God is this this brutal sort of murderous God and the New Testament God is this loving saving God 
But what we have is one consistent message because we have one consistent God. I like what Edmund Clowney says here. He said, God's plan was amazing beyond comparison. The prophets ministered mysteries still hidden from them and their own generation. They ministered those marvels to us as they spoke the things of Christ. He goes on to say, Peter is not saying that the prophets had no ministry to their own time or that they spoke in inspired riddles that made no sense to them or their hearers. What Peter is eager to point out is that his hearers are the heirs of the full message of the prophets. The least disciple of Christ is in a better position to understand the Old Testament revelation than the greatest prophet before Christ came. We have this in Hebrews as well. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he has created the world. So, it's not as though the Old Testament saints weren't saved, that they didn't have a salvation, that they didn't have their own grace. But it's that we have so much more, such a better revelation of it. What they lacked, we have. They lacked the presence of a Messiah. They lacked the, the, the king sitting on the throne. They lacked a fullness of understanding. And so we have all these things, at least in an incipient form, in a basic form. So... Before I hit the last point here, I just want to pause and consider what, what does this mean for us to return to the idea of comfort, of our salvation, of the value of our salvation to ourselves. The, these prophets, they had such a small glimpse, a, a window into our salvation. And they, they wanted to know more. They wanted to dig in more. They, they needed to know more. I wonder how often we abuse the vast amount of knowledge that we have based on the greater revelation that we have. I wonder if we take our salvation for granted. But, you know, I'm just going about living my life and, yeah, yeah, I'm saved, but these are the really important things over here. And once again, I want to reiterate, our salvation is the most desirable possession in the whole of cosmic history. This reality is, is demonstrated in a beautiful way by the fourth point here in that our salvation is wonderful because of its glory. Verse 12, Peter says that these things, this salvation, these events are things which angels long to look into. It's not as though they can't see what's going on and, and wonder what, what, what in the world is God doing, but they, they don't have what we have. Either they're condemned or they never sinned. They don't have this, this category for, for the mercy of God applied to them. And they want to look into it. Uh, I like, again, the way Clowney 
paraphrases things. He says, the verb Peter uses well describes the action of straining to see. Angels peering, as it were, over the battlements of heaven to behold what God has done in Christ. You you all know that I'm passionate about the church. I'm passionate about church. And I know you guys wouldn't think this, but people would think, oh, yeah, of course you are. You're a pastor, right? And you draw a salary, right? Well, the reason I'm a pastor is because I'm passionate about the church. And this here is one of the primary reasons. If we consider uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 11. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Listen to verse 10. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose of God that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here we have these words that God saved us for his own glory, not just before man, not just so that man would praise him and magnify him, but that even heavenly creatures like angels, like Isaiah 6 seraphim or or the strange creatures around the throne in Revelation, Worshipping, bowing down, and admiring God's wisdom in His plan of salvation. So I don't think it's a stretch to say the whole of human history is centered around, from God's perspective, His bringing to Himself a people, the church. And a lot of the primary reason, I asked this a few weeks ago, why did God save us? To the praise of His glorious grace. Not just our praise, but even the praise of angels. Angels long to look into this because it's magnificent, it's attractive, it's desirable. So we have for ourselves a wonderful salvation, a magnificent salvation, a salvation which is truly the most desirable possession in the whole of cosmic history. So I ask you again, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Listen to the answer. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, (coughs) Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. I want to conclude with a prayer in the Valley of Vision. If you pray it with me, I thought it was a fitting prayer for this topic. Blessed Lord Jesus, before Thy cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin, my iniquity that caused Thee to be made a curse. 
the evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. Show me the enormity of my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, the bruised body, the dying cries. Thy blood is the blood of the of incarnate God. Its worth is infinite, its value beyond all thought. Infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. Sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper. Born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my faculties, allowing me as a shadow, following me as a shadow, intermingling with my every thought, my chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light, the air supply me breath, the earth bear my tread, the fruits nourish me, its creatures subserve my ends. Yet thy compassions yearn over me, thy heart hastens to my rescue, thy love endures my curse, thy mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in thy blood, tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. Amen. Praise God.